Our scripture this morning is from the book of John, chapter 11. If you'd like to follow along in one of the pew Bibles in front of you in the pew racks, or if you have your own, you can certainly do that, or it's on the screens in front of you as well. John, chapter 11, beginning with verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have they laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? May God add his blessings to the reading of this word. Let's be in prayer. Lord, you are with us in those extreme moments in our lives, in the ups and downs that we encounter every day, the highs and lows, the heights, the depths, and even the days that are just kind of pretty normal. And you're there to rejoice with us, to celebrate with us, and also to mourn with us. And we are so grateful that you are by our side in all of those times. And Lord, we are very excited to hear the message that you have given Pastor Keith to share with us this morning. And we pray that our hearts and minds will be open to receive that so that we can process those words, take them into our hearts, and live them out this day and the days to come. And so, Lord, we ask your blessings on Pastor Keith as he comes forward and just pray that um, your message will just be so ready and at the tip of his tongue to share with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. We are journeying through Lent in this sermon series called Jesus is a Friend of Mine, and we're, we're exploring the kind of friend that Jesus is. And the trajectory of this sermon series takes us through 
the Holy Week in a, in a pretty unique way, and, and I'm, I'm excited for you to experience that. Um, but also, throughout this season, to think about your relationship with Jesus, because friendship, of course, is about relationship, and that's the point of our faith, is that we're in a relationship with Jesus. So today, we're talking about uh, an aspect of, of relationship and of friendship that sort of hit me in a couple of different ways in the last, last couple of weeks. We're talking about that Jesus is the type of friend that rejoices and cries with you. This story that, that Jesus, or that Vicky, Jesus, Vicky, kind of the same person. We're, the, G, Vicky is a lot like Jesus in many ways. Um, she's, very, she's filled with grace and has a lot of patience to work with us here at the church. And, and I'll tell you this, about this story, this is one of those, those places in Scripture that has really sort of, okay, we've got to go this way with this thing, that has, has kind of confused people. Because people look at Jesus and they ask the question, why is Jesus weeping? Why is Jesus crying here in the story? We didn't read the entire story because we wanted to, to you know, leave a little bit of, of focus placed on the fact that Jesus is, I'm just going to do this, how about that? That Jesus is moved emotionally by what happens here with Lazarus. Now, if you don't know the, kind of, the, the entire story of what happens, Lazarus is Jesus' good friend, and he, he dies after a, a sickness, and Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick, and he intentionally does not go to Bethany where Lazarus is. He hangs out for four days, and nobody knows why. When he finally shows up or he's on his way, they come running out to him, and they're saying, Jesus, why didn't you come? Why couldn't you have been here? And, and, and Jesus has his own reasons for that. Now, eventually what takes place is Jesus, of course, goes to find Lazarus, and famously he, he calls Lazarus to come forth out of his tomb, and Lazarus appears, and he's resurrected, and everybody's mourning turns to joy. Everybody's crying turns to rejoicing, and it's like this big happy ending. But the thing that's puzzled people over the years is this, this interaction that takes place where Jesus weeps, where Jesus is truly sorrowful over what's happening here. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Why would Jesus be emotionally moved by that? And I think the answer, of course, you know, is very complicated. For some people, they find this troubling because the idea that God can be emotionally moved about anything is kind of strange because God is this immovable, strong, powerful God. And, and what could move God emotionally? Where others have looked at that and said, well, the fact that, that Jesus is moved emotionally proves all the more his great love for us. So why is Jesus weeping? Per, perhaps he's weeping over, over suffering and death. Per, perhaps Jesus was weeping because he was face to face with the pain and reality of death. Now remember that Jesus wasn't originally uh, the creator of death. Death was not part of God's original plan. Death is the result of sin. Death is the result of disobedience to God. And perhaps seeing this in the flesh, face to face, Jesus is mourning over all of it. Either way, however you look at it, the bottom line is this. Jesus cares about the hearts of his people. He was grieved because those whom he loved were sad, were grieved. I thought about this last week on our trip 
when they told us that part of our experience in Haiti was going to be just to simply sit with orphans and just be with them. Now, if you would have told me before we went down that, you know, the purpose of our trip, part of it was going to be just to be with orphans, I would have thought, well, that sounds kind of like, you know, a waste of time. I mean, I'm a guy. I want to build something. I want to create something. I want to be able to look at something after we're done and say, yep, we made that down there. And the idea of just going and sitting with people seemed to me like kind of like, okay, well, do they really need us to drive or to fly and drive all this stuff to get down there for that? But what I discovered and what I think you'll hear if you come this afternoon at four is that that was some of the most powerful experiences that we had where it was just to sit with people who were in tough spots in life, just to be with them. You see, the Bible tells us in in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. A good friend is one who feels what you feel. It's called empathy. And that's a part of Jesus' friendship that he has with us. There was one, one story in particular that or one instance that really just the first time I, I would say that my heart was really like captured when I was down there with these orphans was, um, you know, there's about 125 that live in this place and they're, they're well cared for, but they have a lot of needs. And one of the needs they had was for dental work to be done. So a man from, uh, I think he was from Kansas, came down, he's a dentist, and they had this like makeshift, they called it a clinic in a can. It was a con- shipping container that was filled with dental supplies and he was down there the same week we were down there and he was given these orphans dental care and after one of the one of the trips that we had out into uh, the neighboring villages and and some of the work that we'd done we had come back to the orphanage and i found this young man his name was etson and he was sitting uh on this bench having just had a tooth extraction and he was sitting there by himself with a bloody rag just kind of like this. And you could tell that he was in some pain. I think Edson's about 11 years old. And he's an orphan that was brought in with his brother uh, uh, about four months ago. They found him on the streets of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Uh, and he had been, he actually has a living mother. And she had put him on the street with his twin brother at five years old to go and hustle for money to bring back to her. So, I mean, and, and if you ever see pictures of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, it, it is not a place you want to put on your vacation list. Um, it is like a war zone down there, and, and it is a scary, scary place. Imagine a, a, a young boy and his brother on the streets trying to do whatever they could to get money. Well, the Haitian social services, uh, which who wants that job, um, picked these boys up and brought them to this orphanage where they had been being, were cared for, and... So on one hand, they're, they're, you know, very blessed to be there. But just in this kind of simple moment of seeing this young boy going through this experience, it just touched me. And what touched me was this. You know, I, he has no one to comfort him. I, I got my wisdom teeth taken out last fall. And, I, you know, I'm a grown man, but I was terrified. And I was too cheap to pay for the full anesthetic to put me underneath. I'm like, I can save the $310 or whatever if I'm awake. But, of course, that scared me to death, you know. And, you know, so I was like, just suck it up, you know. You'll be fine. But I had this procedure done, and, you know, of course, I'm in the dentist's office, and I'm, uh, you know, of course, they have all these people there that take care of you, and every time he comes in, what are you doing? 
What's that for? Is this going to hurt? All this kind of stuff. And, and I got the procedure done. I took the rest of the day off work. I went home. I had all this medication. And I just laid in bed with a mouthful of cotton and just, you know, just dealt with it. And, and, and you know, it was, it, was, it was a painful thing. You guys have been through that kind of stuff. Imagine being 10 years old. It's 100 degrees outside. And, and you have none of that. You know, they gave him a little Novocaine for the pain. And I thought to myself, what can I do? And the only thing I could come up with was I can sit next to Edson and I can put my hand on his shoulder or on his back and I can just kind of rub his back. And before I knew it, he's kind of leaned up into my, my, my arm here and we just sat and nobody said anything because I, I didn't speak Creole very well and he didn't speak English very well. And I think that was kind of the point. And as that moment was happening, I thought to myself about this message because I'd written it before I left. And I thought to myself, this is what Jesus would do if he were here. Not that I am in any way comparable to Jesus. But I thought to myself, this is like that moment where Jesus weeps at Lazarus' death. Now, of course, there was medical attention given to Edson, and he was going to be fine, and everybody knew that, and I knew that. And, and, you know, the next morning, he was running around playing Frisbee and having a great time. And I knew that was going to happen. But what I was concerned with was right there in that moment, this is a little guy who's in pain and has no mommy to comfort him, has no daddy to take care of him, has no air-conditioned room to lay down and rest in, has none of that. They gave him a sticker. It was on his forehead. I have a picture of it at home. And I thought, well, they tried. I thought, if all I can do is sit here, and, and, and feel what this kid feels a little bit and, and rub his back and praise the Lord. That's what Jesus is like. He's a friend who feels what we feel. He's a friend who empathizes with us. You see, mourning is, is, is something that we're called to do as believers together. We're called to experience these things in life, not in isolation, but with those around us who love us. So what happens when friends mourn together? I want to talk about this for a few minutes. Many of you have experienced mourning. Many of you could be in mourning right now. And my prayer for you is that you'd recognize two important things this morning. Number one, that you don't have to go through it alone because you've got a church family around you that cares about you. And number two, that your God understands mourning. What happens when friends mourn together? Well, first, first thing that happens is you recognize that you can be real. You recognize that people can be real when others mourn with them. You know, there's always this pressure upon us, even in times of mourning, to feel like you have to put on a display for other people, to feel like you have to be the strong one, to feel like you have to hold it together. It's very rare that we as human beings are allowed to just let everything go emotionally and just be raw and open with other human beings. It's very rare. It makes people uncomfortable. It makes us uncomfortable. But the Bible calls us to enter into those hard times with each other and allow people to be real. See, we don't want to be people who bring others down. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to be negative. You know, but there's a difference between being someone who's complaining and someone who's mourning. When you know that it's truly okay to mourn with someone, you can be free to express your hurt. 
And there's a great gift given when a person can truly share all their hurt with a friend who will never judge or abandon them. It's a gift when we sit with someone who's mourning and say, it's okay, feel what you need to feel. Be what you need to be. When friends mourn together, strength is gained in company. When a friend draws near during a time of mourning, strength is shared. You know, there's a, there's a Jewish mourning custom. It's called sitting Shiva. And what sitting Shiva means is that you just go to a person after a, a tragedy has happened, after the funeral has taken place, and after the person's been buried, and you just go and you sit with them. And you don't say anything. You just be together. There's a tremendous amount of strength gained in just being with someone. But it's so hard to do, isn't it? It's hard because we want to offer words that fix. We want to offer advice. We want to offer wisdom. And it feels like we're somehow incomplete in our love when we go and just sit with someone. When we have nothing that we can say, when we have nothing that we can do to change anything... We have to remember, when it comes to mourning, it's not about words. It's about presence. It's about being there. It's difficult. And sometimes we just don't know what to say. But never, ever let lack of words keep you from a friend who's mourning. Because mourning isn't about fixing anything. It's about healing. And there's a tremendous difference between trying to fix and trying to heal. Fixing is about changing things, but mourning is about accepting things. It's hard. I sat with a young man and his mother who lost their father, 51 years old, to a heart attack the two days after we left from Haiti. I came home and and I said, "What, what did I miss? And they told us that these friends of ours who are neighbors two, two blocks over and our sons play together and the young man comes to 412 sometimes. They told us how the 17-year-old daughter came home from a sleepover and, and, and found her dad lying on the floor with the water running on a Sunday morning. And he'd had a massive heart attack, so massive that they had said that even if he had had this heart attack in the hospital, he would not have survived. 51 years old, leaves behind a, a son and a daughter and a wife and it broke my heart when I heard that, that this young man called my house and said, I need your, told my daughter, I need your dad to come to the hospital. Of course, I was out of the country, but when I got back, I went over and sat with them. And just to sit in a room, many of you have been there with someone who's just lost a loved one so closely and more than anything, so badly you want to do or say or be something that will change, that will fix And it's so hard that you can't. And in those situations, what I've seen over and over again is that many times people, they can't take that pain or that pressure, so they just avoid it. They just disappear. I had to have a hard conversation with someone a few years ago who in a a terrible time of of great pain and despair had, had sort of walked out on a friendship that was very close. And when I had to talk to this person about what they had done, I said, look, you needed to be there. He simply said to me, I had no words. I had no words. I had nothing to offer. And I said, that's where you're wrong. You may not have had words, but you had everything to offer because you could have been there. 
Church, that's what we need to realize about Jesus Christ. He's a friend who's there. He's a friend who gives us strength. The Bible tells us that he gives us strength by his presence. We can never, ever abandon one another. Because mourning plus isolation equals danger. When you go into mourning, oftentimes you want to just retreat and hide away and not let anyone see you. Partially probably because you don't feel like you have the freedom to really express all of your your emotions. You don't want to let people see the the, the bad side. You don't want to let people see what you're really going through. But I'm telling you what, what's worse than anything is when a person withdraws themselves completely. Sometimes you have to just go. Sometimes you got to just show up. Sometimes even when they say, I want to be alone, you have to say, well, I'm not going to let you. Jesus never leaves us. He's a friend that gives us strength through company. So, Jesus has called us to mourn with those who mourn, but he's also called us to rejoice with those who rejoice. So what happens on the flip side when friends rejoice together? You want to know what I've discovered? That this is almost as awkward for people at times as the morning. Now, of course, we have the, you know, the obligatory things like a, a wedding or a graduation or whatever. You know, we go to the party, we eat the cake and the mixed nuts and all that kind of stuff like that. And, and you know, we, we, we send a card and this and that. But I'm talking about the kind of rejoicing that goes deeper than just the, the you know, milestones of life. I'm talking about the kind of rejoicing that really truly takes joy when good things happen to our friends. It's kind of rare. People have a hard time with that. But the fact is this, when friends rejoice, three things happen. The first thing is this, that shared rejoicing demonstrates real love. When you know that someone is truly happy over a good thing that's happening in your life, it shows that they really love you, doesn't it? Because the fact is this, even with a lot of our friendships, we don't really make a big deal out of our joys. We, as the ones who maybe we've had a good thing happen, we, you know, we don't want to brag. Or we don't want to come across like, you know, we don't want to rub it in somebody's face if a good thing has happened to us. So we keep it to ourselves. Or we downplay it a little bit. Because we certainly wouldn't want to be one of those people who's always posting on Facebook how great our life is, right? You know? You don't want to be one of those people who's always posting how bad our life is either. You know, I mean, you see things on there and you, you hear people talk. There's a pressure to sort of keep a lid on it when a good thing happens in your life. Because you have to go, wait a second, now I have to, you know, I recognize that not everybody had a good thing happen. And sometimes there's even a little bit of a, if we're honest, a little bit of jealousy or envy that goes on inside of our hearts when something really good happens to someone else in our life. There's a part of us that wishes it were us. There's a part of us that wishes that, you know, it were, it were happening to, to you or to me, so that way we could, we could be rejoicing. So there's a real gift given when you really truly know that someone is happy for you. When you know that, it's, it's a blessing. Second thing that happens when friends rejoice together is it, it builds relationship. It helps us to dig deeper into why they're so happy, into the circumstances of what was going on. Relationships are strengthened when, when friends rejoice together. I, I, I was a freshman at the University of Northern Iowa, and my roommate from high school that was with me, um, he was on the wrestling team. So we got to hang around with a lot of these wrestler guys. They lived in our dorm and they would always come in. 
And there's this one guy that came into our room one night, as he did just about every night. And, um, you know, he was kind of a, a he was, a, he was a, a great athlete. He had won a state title his senior year, maybe even before that too. And he was sort of well known in his community because he had wrestled the whole tournament with a broken hand. And he didn't want to tell anybody because he was afraid the doctors would keep him out of the tournament. So he wrestled with the broken hand and he won the tournament. And, you know, I don't know what happened, but he showed up in our room one night with his VHS tape of his, of his finals performance. Kids, a VHS tape is about, it's, you know, it's about the size of a book, which imagine like four iPads stepped on, iPad minis, you know, glued together. That's kind of what we're talking about here. So he showed up to our dorm room and we were, I'll tell you what, man, me and my roommate Dan, we were the highfalutin guys because we had a VHS player in our room, you know. We had a, we had a big 27-inch screen color TV, you know. We built a special shelf on our area so that it, you know, it was like this thick, you know, this, so we, we could have it. We was all set. And, and our friend Dusty was going to show us his, his state championship match. And I thought, here we go again, you know. Because I'll be honest with you, I was not a friend that rejoiced with these guys all the time. Because I never even qualified for state. And last thing I wanted to do was get, have it rubbed in my face that how awesome these guys were. Matter of fact, one of the guys who happened to move in down the hall from us, I had wrestled him earlier that year. He beat me in 52 seconds. And when I walked in, I saw him. And I thought, oh no, I know this guy. And he looked at me, he's like, you seem familiar to me. Can I see the underside of your arm? Can you go lay down? And I'm like... Just so happens he's the wrestling coach over at Kennedy, you know, uh, these days. Anyway, so, so our friend Dusty puts in this tape, and I'm thinking to myself, here we go. And right as the part of the match is approaching where there's no doubt that Dusty's going to win, he's ahead in points, and the time is winding down, he hits the pause button. And I thought, now this is great. Not, we're not just going to have to watch his match, but now he's going to pause it so he can go, all right, do you see how amazing I am, how I'm winning this, this, this match here? But what he did next blew me away. Because these guys weren't known for their emotional, uh, you know, openness with one another. But he didn't, he pointed to something on the screen, but it wasn't himself he pointed to. He pointed to a young man that was in the stands that you could see behind him. And he said, look at that. And he said, that's awesome. And he pointed to a young man who was standing back there with his arms raised in victory like this. That young man was his best friend who, because of either injury or something, I don't remember the reason behind it, but he was unable to compete in the state tournament. And the thing that blew everybody away was the fact that this kid had hopes and dreams of being a champion as well. And for whatever reason, he wasn't there, but his buddy was. And he had this look of triumph on his face. The fact that his friend was going to bring home the, the medal to their high school. And that struck me as, wow, this is an amazing display of friendship here because this guy wasn't worried about his own status. I'm sure there were others that called themselves friend of this young man that were sitting in the stands going, yeah, big deal. But not this guy. He had his arms raised. And I think about that. And I think about that, you know, this is over 20 years later. I still think about that sometimes. And I think that's what Jesus is like. Jesus is the friend that rejoices that, that when good things happen, he's on our sidelines cheering us on. He's rejoicing for us, and he's called us to do the same thing in our relationships because it builds relationships. It strengthens us, and that's what we need. And most importantly, 
It enhances love. The, the love that I saw in that young man toward his friend that day, he was like, that's a friend for life right there. Someone who doesn't care about themselves but rejoices when you have something good happen to you. That's a friend for life. Are you a friend like that? Even if things are going poorly in your life, when a friend has something great happen for them, can you put aside your own disappointments and truly feel victorious and rejoicing in what's happened to your friend? See, here's what it means that Jesus rejoices in Christ with us. It, it means, number one, that we can trust Jesus with our hearts, with our victories and with our defeats. He helps us accept what has happened to us. He helps us grow through it, and He rejoices with us. When we are down and out and mourning and filled with sorrow, we don't have to put a show on for Jesus. We can be real with Him. We can express our hurt to Him fully and completely, and He will not judge or abandon us. Consequently, we can share our successes with Jesus, and He doesn't tell us to, to, to not get carried away with it. He throws a party. He rejoices. Secondly, what it means that Jesus rejoices and cries with us is that we gain strength from His presence. One of my favorite verses is Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You see, Mary and Martha were so glad that Jesus had come even though their brother had died and they were filled with sorrow. And they had no idea that right on the other side of their sorrow and mourning was this resurrection that was about to take place. And I think Jesus did that on purpose. Because he wanted them to see what it means. You know the beatitude that says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus wanted them to experience that. Because there's no greater blessing than when you can be comforted from mourning. And that's what Jesus promised to Mary and Martha. And that's what Jesus has promised to you and to me. Because the Bible tells us that in the end, God will fix everything. He will wipe away every tear. He will right every wrong. He will restore all things. That's the promise that we have. So even in our mourning, even in our despair and sorrow, we have the hope of Christ that will never leave our side and has promised that in the end, we will be comforted. And finally, what it means that Jesus rejoices and cries with us is this, that our joy now is enhanced. It's no fun to celebrate by yourself, is it? Yesterday, I finally beat this angry level on Angry Burns, this level on this iPad, and I was so excited about it. I was like, Yes! People, my wife said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I just beat this level in anger. But said, okay, you know, nobody cared. Can you believe that? I almost called some of you. Hey, let's have a party. It's no fun to celebrate by yourself. Can you imagine what it's like to celebrate with Jesus? The parties he throws, the joy he has. What we see on this earth is a, a shadow of what is to come. And Jesus has promised us great rejoicing great celebration. So whether you're experiencing mourning or celebrating, Jesus is a friend that truly cares. He cheers when you succeed and he cries at your defeats. He brings you strength and he enhances your joy. 
He's your biggest cheerleader, and he's your greatest defender. He's not a fair-weathered fan or a bandwagon jumper. He's not a hater or jealous of your success. He truly cares. He truly loves. Jesus is a true friend. May we be so as well. Let's pray together. Lord God, for all of these things, Lord, spoken this morning, we give you thanks. Lord, for those in our midst who are mourning today, we ask your spirit to bring comfort and we offer our hands and feet to lay a hand on a shoulder, to be present, to not fix but to comfort. And Lord, for those who are rejoicing in, in, in victories in life, Father, we say amen and hallelujah. Help us to be people, Lord, as a church who can be real about what we're experiencing who don't feel like we have to hide it or cover it up, but instead, Lord, who can experience all of what life brings, both good and bad, in the community that is the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you never leave our side and that you walk with us through this life, helping us to be comforted and prepared for the restoration of the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.